Welcome to Mixed Company. Bringing the siloed and uncomfortable conversation we have with our friends to the forefront so everyone can participate in the conversation. We say all the things you never would in Mixed Company. Welcome to Mixed Company. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Welcome back to Mixed Company. This is episode 28. Hey. How's it going, friends? We here. I mean, you wiped us out, so. (laughs) No, it's going good. We had a good weekend. Have a good weekend. So, just so you guys know, as um, I guess a continuation from last weekend, last episode, I was telling y'all about the Five Borough drinking tour where I've convinced 30 people that it was okay to follow me on a trip from Brooklyn to Staten <laughs> Island to the Bronx and back uh, to have a drink in every borough. Um, and yes, it was as debaucherous as it sounds. It was fantastic. A couple people got sick, which means we did it right. Um, no one got arrested, which means we did it efficiently. Um, and even though we were two hours behind, I had, I didn't hear no complaints. Everybody seemed to be cool with it. It was lit. Even in the rain, it was lit. No, it was perfect. I have, I have no complaints. We had a great time. I had Hennessy in every borough. Mm. I basically solidified my blackness all again. Mm. Yes. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, that's great. Um, we have a guest, and it seems like everybody uh, always likes when we have a guest on the show. Um, we have Goddess Rivera, right? I, I want to make sure I pronounce the last name correctly. Rivera. 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 Uh, out here like a, like a telenovela. We got to do like a whole skit. <laughs> but Goddess, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going we're gonna to save like your intro and delve into you a little bit more after Dope Shit or Ain't Shit. Cool, um, cool. Because you deserve the time, and I don't want to gloss over it. Thank you, boo. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's go ahead and get started with Dope Shit or Ain't Shit. I'll go first. So you probably have heard Amazon bought Whole Foods for $13.7 billion. And it's kind of a balance because if you're like me, it's dope shit. But if you really look at business economics, you're like, this ain't shit because Amazon is about to monopolize over everything. And I'm excited, but then again, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I don't know why you're worried. Well, because Amazon's going to have everything. I mean, this has happened before. Mm, but that ruins business competition. And then somebody will ruin them. That's how I thought. But the, the idea of a monopoly is still scary. Like, you want to have fair competition. You want to be able to have price competition. You want to be able to not feel like you have to go somewhere just to get something. And I think that Amazon's gonna monopolize on ease, especially for certain people who can afford Amazon Prime for a year or <laughs> things like that. <laughs> you know, he's gonna make his money off of that. But there's the actual price competition and there's the act, then there's the mentality of price competition. And if people feel that they can't look somewhere else, that's a problem. I feel like I think that's fair, but on the grand scheme of things, how frequently do you go to Amazon anyway for things? Have you seen my Amazon Prime? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like for you, I don't necessarily believe that's an issue. I think I think if we're talking about free like fair trade agreements and all of that, that's great. But for me, 
who actually pays that $75, $99 a year now, I'm fine, quite frankly. I need more groceries in my life. I need them to deliver more things I need in my life. I need more wine, access to two-buck chuck when I need. Like, I personally don't see an issue yet. Now, until they start revoking things like passport privileges and <laughs> acting like they're a part of this administration, then I'm just going to chill. But, you know, that's not the case. And in the article, it points out, I think the problem comes in the future because Jeff Bezos, he's been talking, like, with lobbyists and things like, and people like that. The biggest issue is if in the future, what if you wanted to buy a can of soda, or I'm actually can of soda, no, bad example. If mm-hmm. you wanted to buy some berries or eggs, <laughs> and it's cheaper if you have Amazon Prime than going to your store, that changes the price competition. Sounds like in a- marketing magic to me. It sounds like somebody <laughs> made a good move on their end. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in on this, y'all. Um, I, my, my daughter actually has celiac, so I stay up in Whole Foods all the time. Whole Foods, whole check. So for me, I agree. It was, it was really interesting because, to me, I always think about the idea that Whole Foods is literally like it's become kind of the mark of gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like the idea of Blue Apron and a lot of these delivery services because it brings foods to places where there's food droughts. And we know that's like underprivileged neighborhoods. And although there's some price issues there, I think that's what I really want to see if Amazon's going to do. I know how expensive a lot of stuff at Whole Foods is, but now that you, if you have a chance to do that and get to that merchandise without some of that overhead, which is what Amazon provides, I, I hope that this can mean that you can, you know, boxes will be coming to the projects and mm-hmm. you can have fresh vegetables, fresh dairy, the stuff that, you know, can't always be found and associated in key food for all the New Yorkers out there. Um, you know, the manager special is not, <laughs> is not <laughs> what you need in your life, you know? So for a lot of people, I really hope that it changes the affordability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Amazon was trying to start to do that with Amazon Fresh, so I really yeah. hope that it does that. But it is, it's, it is kind kind of a dope shit and an ain't shit kind of thing because it's it's a lot on, on both sides. So I see your point. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> right. Well, I didn't I didn't put that much thought into it because I don't cook. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, all right, cool. That's what's happening. Uh, I guess I'll go with uh, my dope shit. My dope shit is an article that was in The Hollywood Reporter and it's titled, uh, Produced by Oprah Winfrey and uh, Ava DuVernay discuss how to create a culture of inclusion. And um, basically, they just kind of hit on the fact that it takes work. But one of the key things that she, uh, Ava DuVernay, was talking about, uh, because they worked together on Queen Sugar and A Wrinkle of Time, was the fact that um, for the first season of Queen Sugar, uh, she basically went out, she wanted a bunch of female directors. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the I guess the people who work on the set, the producers, were basically saying that they couldn't find them. But she went out and she made it an effort to go out and find these producers, and they did. And because Queen Sugar was such a uh, success last season, um, all the all the directors that she found that worked on it last season, they were all booked because wow. it basically showed like they brought quality work to the table. Um, but there was a quote in here that I wanted to talk about because I feel like it 
it directly correlates with advertising. Uh, she said, it's not that easy. It takes effort to find women and people of color for your crew. Department heads are used to working with their people. And I feel like that right there kind of like sums up advertising, where it's like you got a bunch of white dudes who like to work with other white dudes and they hire their homeboys and they hire their friends. Um, and then she said, we're in a space now where there's awareness of the need for inclusion and now it's the next level. And then the next level is execution. Um, and I just like this article because she basically kind of hit on the point where if you want to do something, you can get it done. Like we have the means, we have the capabilities to get it done. And if we're going to keep preaching diversity and inclusion, um, it's not going to be, it shouldn't be something that when recruiters or managers talk about it, they shouldn't be able to end a conversation with, I couldn't find anybody. Like if you really want to do it, then you go out and get it done and you, um, you make sure to actually hold on. There's, there's a quote in here that I wanted to hit on and I cannot find it for some reason. Um, wow, you look for that quote. I'm going to speak to this. I'm Quite often I've, I've found myself in conversations with friends that are recruiters and friends that work in HR and, and colleagues that do the same. And it's it literally... It just pisses me off every time I got it. I, I hear, you know, it's just so hard to find people of color as if, like we're the unicorns and I think with Oprah's own network as much as we we because even I've said some things because the haves and the have-nots is just too way too much for me uh, as we talk about programming but as we talk about building teams and setting up your um, and setting up your network in a way that the people that you want to work for you with the type of work ethic and the type of diversity and the type of intellectual property that you want them to bring to the table it takes effort it takes effort even if you are a white man that wants to hire another white man to find a white man that you want to work with so what this means is like what Oprah is saying, what Ava DuVernay, what they're saying is we redirected our energy into instead of just working with the recycled help, let's find people that we can either give an opportunity to that might want it more and also have the creative and intellectual prowess to be able to execute on that. All it's doing is showing that it's not that you can't find us is that you're not looking and on the back end quite frankly there are there are a host of people of color and women that just don't go out for jobs or take the the time to you know become a script writer even though you know they write many you know instagram uh instagram short videos or whatever they they don't want to take the step up to go mainstream because they don't feel like they can so Stuff like this is exciting. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a person that is always going to be here for the I told you so. Mm -hmm. And I felt <laughs> like that article and that pu that position that they were um, put it, pushing forth was a, was a big I told you so. It's good. Uh, so I'm not going to read the whole quote because it's long as hell. Um, but basically what she was saying was um, DuVernay warned the heads of each department of her crew not to submit a homogenous list of hires unless they can prove that they had considered others. Uh, when one attempted to persuade the director that his list consisted of the best people for the job who also only happened to be white men, she basically said she was faced with the choice of, do I accept this list? And um, basically what she told him was, I believe that you're great, you're the head, and I believe that you could come, up with the great, come out with the great results with a different crew and make them great too. So it's like, I feel like this, the stance that they took, the stance that she took was basically, I'm not just gonna let you say that I couldn't find diverse candidates. 
I'm going to challenge you to go out and find them. And when you find them, if you feel like they're not the best, I feel like that you can train them to be the best. I agree. And that's like the whole point of like new pro, like new hire programs and things like that to train the talent who's willing to be trained. And sometimes that's all it takes. Like there's just, there's no excuse outside of fear and ego mm -hmm. why you can't staff people that are more than competent, because you don't just want competent people, you want people that are exceptional, Yes. but that also reflect exceptionalism that doesn't necessarily mirror yours. Um, and you have to be courageous to do that, because you also have to stand behind it. So yay for them. I mean, Ava can do no wrong. I will be staying tuned for Queen Sugar, that is my show. Shout out to Charlie Bordelon, or however you say her last name. <laughs> You got that it. Is, you listen, got it. I Angel, Rob Angel. I, 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 uh, he's so fine. Uh, <laughs> but I identify with Charlie, so Ava does no wrong in my uh, book. Um, I, I'll go, I'll go next. Um, so my dope shit is also a dope shit. It's like 80% dope shit and like 20% ain't shit. But my dope shit is um, my commending of Philando Castile's mother. Um, and quite honestly, her use of, her raw use of social media over the past few days, I guess week even, um, to express her frustrations with the outcome of the trial for the murderer, because that's what he is, yes. of her son. Um, we talked about this in episode six, like Water for Chocolates, that might be my favorite one thus far, um, where we are people are tired of having to defend themselves and having to speak up for themselves and and being told to rely on a, a system that we are very clear is not built for us but we are also in conflict because people are telling us to trust the process um she kind of just said fuck the process and fuck the bullshit and told everybody over facebook live and and there are uh tweets that were retweeted and Instagram posts and basically all of social media that I paid attention to over the last couple of days was pretty much her expressing her anger. Um, she's obviously, she's old enough to be my mother, which isn't that old. I'll say that, but it's nice to see people break away from feeling like they have to play nice or they have to play in the sandbox and you have to grieve in a way that's comforting and um, appeasing to other people. Um, obviously I'm, I'm not, I can't, I could never be as frustrated as she is because that's her family member. That's somebody she knows. That's somebody she brought into this world. But there is a spark of joy that I get from seeing her just keep it real mm -hmm. because so often we're told like to keep your chin up and to keep your tears to yourself and, you know, thank people for what they gave you. But at the end of the day, like she lost her heart. That's her, that's her baby. Like, yeah. no matter how old he gets, no matter how old she gets, like, that was her baby that was taken from her on video. We all know what happened. We, we all saw We all saw the reports. The officer admitted it. Everybody knew what happened. And we still couldn't get to a point where we can say, yes, he's a murderer. Maybe he's a murderer by accident, but you know what? He did that. He did that, and he deserves punishment. What we said was, it's okay because he was nervous, because all of a sudden it's okay to be to be nervous and have a gun, to be in a position of, of authority and to be nervous. You can't, 
you can't do that. There's no excuse for that. So I applaud her. She's my dope shit because quite honestly, and I said it all, I said it on that episode six, like when it was my brother in that situation, mm. there's nothing in this world that can stop me from raising hell and high water to protect people I love. And I will cuss, fuss, and start all kind of ruckus to like, to to be heard and to fight on their behalf. And as a mother, she she deserves that right. That is her right and her privilege, quite honestly. Um, and my ain't shit is fuck the jury that thought that everything that they presented on the defense the defense's behalf exactly. actually actually mattered more than his life All 12 and the lives that he touched. All twelve of them, every last one of them. I think the biggest like as you were speaking, I could remember like direct quotes from her speech after the sentence, and. There is something really important. She's in her 60s, and she said that, you know, she's been through this shit. She's been through, like, the protests from the 60s, all of that. So she's been through the politics, you know, all of that, the respectability, politics, everything. And it comes to a point you do everything that you can, and you try to teach your kids everything they can, and they still end up die. They end up killed. And I think that that's so, like... I can't even imagine that, but as she spoke and she's like, you know what, like literally I did everything right and my son was still taken away from me. I mean, he did everything right. He did everything right. So, you know. But I she did, did everything right too. Right. Like she's seen like, she's, well, we, I think we, there are past episodes where we talk about people who've been through the civil rights, who've been through all the sit-ins and things like they're still alive. Like she saw that in her life. Mm-hmm. She saw all of that, 90s, everything up until now. And her still her son still ended up a statistic. Yeah, I really don't know what else to say. Like it's a fucked up situation. Like it's 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 really like it's at the point where and I think we can all kind of relate to the frustration that she's feeling because it's what can you do at this point? Like there there really isn't there isn't a roadmap that is that would guarantee that you live after an encounter with the police. There isn't a roadmap that would guarantee that in, in the instance that, they, that there is some sort of injustice, that you would get justice after being murdered by the police. And so it's, her frustration is, is valid. I, and to Kai's point, like, I'm glad that she showed her frustration because every single time that, every time that we, we mask that fr- frustration with strength, it takes away from the the hit that it should be to everyone. Like it's it's humanity. Like if you can watch a mother cry mm-hmm. and not feel anything, then why are you here? <laughs> like you should. I, like it doesn't make any sense. And so like it's who knows where we go from here. Like that's right. that's kind of where it's at. Definitely. Um, so, again, just like last year, just like always and forever, my heart goes out to her, her family, um, everyone, all, all of the students that he touched. Like, there was an outpouring of students on social media, like, posting about their experiences with him um, and, and teachers and teachers' aides and, and all the lives that he affected in a positive way. And none of that was enough to cover him from the glaring um, – stereotype that black men and black people are are dangerous so um 
it's sad to see that that's how it turned out as it always has been and will be but i'm happy to see that we're not everybody's not down for playing respectability politics some shit just needs to get called the fuck out um so that's what happened I didn't mean to leave on a on a downer note. Do you have, <laughs> goddess? Do you have anything uplifting to share to share with the people? Do you have a word you may want to to bless us with? I feel like I need to take us to church now. Like. <laughs> oh man, do you have anything or? Um, I mean, no. Like you know, I I, I have a, a daughter. I, I'll probably mention her a million times because she's so inspiring to me on this podcast. And so like I I can't even imagine her pain, but I can you know, almost put myself in her shoes. And I just think, like you said, I'm getting to the point where it's like, where are we marching to? You know, what what's that doing? But a lot of what I've been doing is really going back and re-educating myself on the origins of these institutions. So, you know, it, police were created to terrorize and continue to police freed slaves, um, to, to continue to try and marginalize our people. So it's not that they're you know, they're doing what they were started to do. And it's like, that just has to be, I think we need to all get to the point. So I love to hear kind of that, that rage and that focus in the poor Mrs. Castile, um, because I think we just need to get to a point as a, as a people where uh, we have to totally dismantle this thing and trying to bend it and twist it and make it work for us is not, is not what's gonna work. It's not what it was created for. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know what that means. And of course you wanna see that happen in a way that is no bloodshed and no violence but you know it's just getting to the point where it's just like you're gonna back you know our people in a corner and it's just it's really heartbreaking but to your point about her using social i mean there's your there's your leading there's that leading right you see how i do it you see how i do yeah yeah, um (laughs) i really do think that you know that is going to be a big part of the phenomenon that will take us kind of to that next plateau because it is what we didn't have 60 years ago. You know, Juneteenth is today. Yes, it is. Um, and it's like Juneteenth was two years mm. after the Emancipation Proclamation. So that just shows the, the how long the information took to travel in a system, you know, that was against, you know, people of color. So now, you, you know, imagine if something of that magnitude happened, you tweet it, it's, it's to the entire world in, in a second. Yes. So I think that just shows the power of social media. And I really do think that, you know, a lot of people you know, feel certain ways about social. Some people think it's drama. Some people only <laughs> use it to connect or only use it to talk to family. But it is really, I think, a, a world-changing phenomenon. So that's kind of what brought me to uh, really dig into to Black Twitter. Dope. Yes. Well, I think that's a perfect segue. So if hey. you don't mind, so just so everybody knows, we got Goddess here. And it's just so amazing that your name is Goddess because I'm like, she's literally one of the dopest people I've ever met in my life. Oh, my God. So thank you, you. So you literally have to come through with a dope-ass name. Thank which you. you. Have. Shout out to my mom. Shout out to my mom. Absolutely. She knew what she was doing. Um, but with that, Goddess is going to talk to us about Black Twitter. Now, granted, we all, we, most of us, <laughs> we here at this table, and a lot of people that listen are a part of the Black Twitter <laughs> community, especially in its earliest forms. Um, but as a social media director, associate director, you have gone to great lengths to actually um, – create almost like an academic platform around it where this is more than just people of color voicing their frustrations opinions and snarky comments because lord knows we just throw shade like there's no eclipse in this world right um but there's there's more to it there's a commod there's a commodifiable piece to it that i feel like 
if people understood that part better, then they could understand us better and that could trigger progress in diversity and inclusion in many ways. So if you can just start by telling us a little bit how you got into the game, where you are now, and then we'll just shoot some black Twitter questions at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so here's my little spiel now. Uh, I actually, you know, back in the day, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be an editor-in-chief of Essence. Nobody's going to stop me. I was on, you know, uh, sending out letters from – so kids hear this now. I had to send out letters, written letters in envelopes to editors for them to read my writing. And trust me, they didn't open it. None of them damn letters. And uh, you guys could just send a LinkedIn message, so there's power in that. So – um, I wanted to be a writer, you know, I, I went to Clark Atlanta, and, and then, like, you know, while I was going through school, it was like, vibe is shutting down, <laughs> essence is shutting down, you know, this is the early 2000s, and there was that moment when, like, digital and publishing didn't know how to work together, they thought that one had to cancel the other, and um, so I kind of, like, reworked and ended up really digging into PR, so when I got out of school, I went and kind of just took the first job I could get, uh, coming back to New York. And I started working for a small company based out of Jersey, um, just doing some kind of corporate PR for them. Um, it was wild and crazy. Shout out to the fam out there. Um, <laughs> and it was great because what happened was uh, we did a lot of great stuff. I was a liaison to uh, the larger PR company. We work with the big companies, the R. Corey Hayes and the Rubenstein PRs. Um, but what happened is the, the owner who I had become really close with, kind of starting with him as his company grew, he came to me and was like, well, where can we say something good about ourselves? You know, and this is like 2007, you know, early 2008. And I'm like, Facebook, <laughs> you know, so we ended up kind of turning on this company's um, Facebook, you know, pages. And I was running that. And um, at the same time, they started some search campaigns. And so they actually brought in a company to teach me about how to understand content and SEO strategy. So I, you know, being a writer, they were like, you know, do you think you can write content to, this is back in the day when you could push down bad stuff on Google, understanding keyword density and all that mess, you know, they done got smart. We can't do right. that anymore. But it's back not then, even a thing no more. yeah, you know, back then if you had a strategy, you could do a lot more with SEO. So I actually had a, a digital marketing company come in and train us on SEO. And I just kind of found my way in social. So I became... Uh, over time, the director of content and social media for this company, the company grew. Um, they're, they're no longer in business. They were sold off um, and ended up being a multi-million dollar company. And wow. so they actually had a couple of other small clients, you know, just small uh, businesses with, with a decent enough media spend to really start to learn. And they spun off into a small startup where we did digital. So I got to lead a team of about five people there. And I had two social strategists under me, a content strategist, a writer and community manager, and just really just figured it out. You know, I just figured it out. So being at a startup was great because I got to work hand in hand with the search director, you know, paid media director. I did all my reporting myself. So by the time I got to the agency, I'm like, wait, you got an analytics department? Like, I ain't doing all this work? Right. Say word, you know? So, so it was like, I was ready, like all hands on deck. I had to know how to do everything. So even I remember, you know, when I kind of just kind of grew out of that, I had been with that company for a long time, but I was ready to go to the big leagues now and move on to go to some larger agencies. Like, that was a big difference for me because, um, you know, we were, this is back and Google Plus was popping for a second. Not really popping, but, you know. <laughs> like, it, it was it, never it really popping. It might have cracked, yeah, it but really it really might popping. not have popped. <laughs> but it it kind of fizzled for a second. Yeah. 
And, you know, we were doing strategies for YouTube and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, where's my search team at? Because that, all of that intent-based keyword strategy, mm-hmm. you know, I used to sit across from this guy and we would work on that. And they're like, oh, they're in Dallas. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so it, I realized how siloed, you know, larger agencies was. So you get the bigger clients and you get the, the bigger budgets. But I still had that startup mentality. And, you know, I'm always like, making, I don't never want to be behind the curve. So I was like, mm-hmm. I need to keep in touch with these people. I need to figure out, you know, how to search impact social and, how does paid media make a difference? This is kind of when paid was becoming like you had anyone for social media. There was no choice anymore. You know, organic was just dying. So I, I just continued to do all that. I moved from that startup and went to iCrossing, um, worked on some really cool stuff there, and and then went over to T3, uh, uh, where I got to do some even more stuff. And I think at the time, you know, I became a mom in 2011. And going to a larger agency, I, I got hit in that place where I was like, I'm a black woman, a mother. This is not the life for me. <laughs> like, you know, you you crying, you staying late nights and traveling, thinking that you can't do this anymore. But um, I just, I was so, I'm so competitive that I just didn't want it to beat me. So I decided to keep going. So it took me a while to kind of find it, um, a place where I am comfortable and I think I've finally done that but in doing that I was able to work on tons of different brands and projects and kind of steered more so down the social strategy um the social strategy lane and still touch on content here and there it was always great to have that kind of holistic view but mm-hmm. that's a really agency like boring explanation of my life I'm cool too I love to dance for <laughs> 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 all the non-agency people <laughs> you know it's crazy People tell their agency stories and they go through and tell like these epic like odysseys. It's like the Iliad, and you're like, and then, and then they, everybody ends it the same way. It's just really boring. Like, <laughs> no, it's nothing really to talk about. No, that's amazing. Like, thank you. Most people don't realize. So with social, not to not to <laughs> delay getting into the topic, but with social, there was no. Like, there are just now classes on social. Mm-hmm. Like, especially as you were coming up, and I, I graduated college in 20, 2010, mm-hmm. right? There there was no social. No. Social was just, that's the thing on my phone that I do in between tests. Yeah, like, that's yeah. what I do. I tweet, I go on Facebook, right. I mind other people's business, yes, exactly. and I tell people about mine. That's what it was. <laughs> exactly. And now to see, like, how... Shout out to Black Planet, too, though. Listen, you know? Black Planet. Come on, man. Word. Come on. Somebody told me that they just so opened. My poor they little out for Black Planet. <laughs> they just looked at their old Black Planet page. Hey, but listen, I would scream if I saw mine. Right <laughs> that was a real thing, but like that is how we connected, and to see how far social media has come from ASL. Like, listen, I come from the school, and five of my cousins sitting behind. Uh, a picture of a celebrity talking about our okay. name is our name is uh, uh what the hell do we call her like Gina or some shit like <laughs> we made a whole like personality and talked to all the dudes on AOL wow ASL though ASL twenty two male and I'm in oh, Arkansas man. perfect this is perfect you'll never find out what you doing. <laughs> And now it's like this is something that has become like an integral piece uh, to the marketing mix at, within agencies and within brands and even for individuals. So mm. you like that's a lot. It's kind of a big deal. It's not like a little thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a big training. Deal. I know. Like, like you, like, could, you're the professor. Like there is no <laughs> professor more equipped than you. Quite it's frankly, so wild. Like I mean, it just wasn't. I'm four years behind you. You know, so like it was no such a thing. Um, it just was never something that you know 
I thought that would become mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, a career. You're like mm-hmm. on this stuff, you're sharing stuff, you're liking stuff. You're not, you know, understanding that this is going to be a strategy. And, and where I am with it now, like, again, thinking about this is a phenomenon that could possibly change the world. You know what I mean? That sounds like real pie in the sky and crazy, but I really do believe that. Like I said, you know, information and being connected is power. We're talking about Juneteenth earlier and it right. taking mm-hmm. two damn years. Can you imagine? To figure out, girl, I want our Archaic Twitter pay. was on some stuff. Want- Listen. <laughs> Listen, Linda. <laughs> Archaic Twitter. Archaic black Twitter was not popping, okay? Uh, Two and a half years later yo. for Slaves in Texas. For those of you that are not aware of what Juneteenth, uh, the holiday, celebrates, it, it celebrates um, the day or the time, rather, where s- slaves um, in Texas finally got the news, essentially, that two and a half years prior, Abraham Lincoln had already signed and directed the Emancipation Proclamation. So while in school we may be excited to know that, oh, you know, Abraham Lincoln freed slaves. No, (laughs) Abraham Lincoln did not necessarily free slaves. He created the ordinance to do so. However, what you don't know may hurt you. There were a lot of people that did not get the word. Um, And therefore, you know, it was not July 1st or July 4th, not December or January 30, mm-hmm. January 1st. We, we were still December slaves 31st, July 4th, like, 1776. Is exactly. Like, it took a long time for people to actually get the word and believe and internalize that they were not obligated to essentially their slave masters. Um, yeah, and there you? are books and there are articles <laughs> and there are movies. Shout out to Glory and Roots and all of that um, for people to watch. But it's as empowering as it can be it's actually really sad to know to the point which we're going to talk about now with black twitter like how a delay in receiving a message can literally alter can literally alter a culture of people and here we are now that if i'm upset at the world if i'm upset at the president if i'm upset at a, a king or a political figure of any country i can literally at them whether or not they mm-hmm. read it mm-hmm. is up to them but i listen if they don't read it i know they received it and that somebody somebody at at some point has been right. able to check it so that's there's power in that um and with that one of the because i'm sure you're doing a lot but one of the most amazing things that you, you've been doing uh recently goddess is giving a pep talk on black twitter yes <laughs> black twitter tell us about that wow so i guess i gotta give you a little bit of the backstory and um uh so where i am now and i can i can definitely say this on the record i love those guys i'm at vml um and just a big kudos to my my boss mikey kramer there she's great and we kind of have these social meetings every week where we talk about different trends and stuff and i'm always going on about yo blacks what it is so you know whether just in conversation like you know i was never like trying to educate anybody on it it would just be like oh i saw this pop up and this and what about that trend and so my boss was like why don't you just put something together to really like i don't think the team is clear on what that is um and so I said, all right, you know, and I started just kind of putting together a couple of slides. This is a very informal meeting, just just the team, just about 11 of us, 12, I think. Um, and so what happened was, like, two things happened at the same time. And I sat down to, to tell this, kind of explain what Black Twitter is, which is, is an interesting explanation. It's, it's not so hard to pin, it's not so easy to pinpoint. But I also was like, well, damn, I have to tell the history of black people to tell this story. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to understand what I'm saying if I don't make this connection for you. Um, 
you know, to that audience who I, who I knew didn't have that context. And so at the same time, so many people were interested in this that the meeting invite, which was just our team, literally, like my boss said, like went viral. Next thing I know, our CMO's on there, our, our head director out in Kansas City and in, in the headquarters. Um, so I'm like, well, damn, now I got to look good. Like, you know what I mean? I can't look like yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. I can't have her looking crazy either. Right. I got to take that one gift of the CMO out. Yes. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> I just need my I job. I had, like, my, my whole guy. deck was just memes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, I have 59 slides of memes. And now I got to, like, <laughs> you know, so I did. But, you know, I, I took it very seriously. I've always been, like, you know, I think the term is woke now. I actually ended up calling the presentation woke, lit, and ready just because I wanted to see it on a meeting so, invite. Um. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes sometimes when I die, you just got to do it for the culture. Like, yeah, listen. You know. And um, so that that's uh, I've always been really into just my culture and, and the, the I think that just who we are as a people is damn remarkable yo like we are some i mean we're sitting here right now talking about this poor woman in pain using her pain as power to push us forward to get past this and that's what we've done so i think like i've always just been so connected to my culture i love being black it's lit it's everything you know i love being a black woman we're magic and so i guess you know i took kind of took all of that and then went into why twitter you know why this platform and what has it done so that's kind of what I did. I, I just created a presentation that really showed kind of how the history of who we are has, um, in this country specifically, has always been steeped in survival. And so from that, we ended up, we talk a lot in code. Sometimes whether we mean to or not, you know, you, I bet it, you know, if many people at my job walk into my beauty salon, they'd be like, what, who now? Say who, you know what I mean? And we mm -hmm. just be talking and firing away. But Kai, you probably know exactly what we were talking about. Exactly. Um, it's not like we're using, you know, totally different language or anything. It's just that everything that we do is, is almost so closely connected to our experience and uh, in, in being a uh, people of color in this, in this country. So I think what Twitter has done is, it's kind of raised those conversations from those beauty salons and those barbershops and put them on a platform mm -hmm where um you know it's, it's public discourse now but the, the crazier thing to me is that people it's literally on twitter and people still didn't know right what right. it was that you know? to me like even the idea that there was like a, a a thing called black twitter like when i first started hearing about it like i had to take a step back and be like who <laughs> i'm like ain't we all on the same platform <laughs> entered black and, like, twitter we're, like, i'm just speaking you know at the yeah. time like i, I think the term for me, I think, started while I was still in college, and it's like, bro, we just, we're just here. Like, I'm just yeah. here talking to, I'm here talking to the folks. They're adding me back, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're tagging me and whatever. We're just having general conversation that we would have at the cafe or we would have done yeah, a happy hour or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, like, it was, the content <clears throat> was right. so drastically different, and even, like, the, the cadence of conversation mm -hmm. is so different on Twitter between, and it, it, I don't know if it's all of, of African diasporic communities, but mm -hmm. definitely a large portion of black people, and th we got it. And that's one of the things that I talk about. I mean, I literally had to, I mean, the presentation starts with what it is and what it ain't. And I put ain't in there. <laughs> Again, I just want to see ain't on a slide. Listen, listen. It's your presentation. It's my presentation. So, 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 so,
I really had to, and I mean, like, people, I've had people ask me, like, is it a separate app? Can I download can it? Can I download it? And I'm like, like nah. Black Planet like, closed a couple years ago, bro. We good. Yeah, so I agree. I mean, and that's kind of what I, I wanted to pay homage, you know, to that is that, you know, there's a quote that I kind of open with. It's like, if you don't know Black Twitter, you can't find Black Twitter. It's right mm. there. But you can't find it, and that just shows how this conversation, this phenomenon, is so closely tied to a, a an experience. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's an experience that you know you have to live it to understand it. And to me, just being a strategist, you know, that I pulled a lot from that. One is how the hell are we in advertising that we don't understand this experience? That's irresponsible, right? You know what I mean? So how do we have how do we have people out there with this perspective and y'all don't even know what this is? Mm. How we talk. And that's not everybody, you know, and I do get into that, you know, I, I cover that it's not a monolith. It's not every black every person that's black on Twitter ain't in black Twitter. And everybody that's, you know, in black Twitter ain't always black. You right. know, it's just about having this kind of understanding of this experience and and I kind of really wanted to get into what this group does. So I kind of break it down into like six different things that I feel that black Twitter really does. And, um, you know, that goes into protection and, and protecting our own, uh, celebrating who we are. And all of these things are not done in mainstream anywhere, mm -hmm. you know, from the way we're presented in media to the conversations that we were never privy to. You know, we weren't hired by CNN like that. We don't have you know, years and years and Shout years. I got Don Lemon out here yeah. cussing folk out. You Listen, know that, that New Year's well, party was everything. <laughs> he was a part of Black Twitter that day. Honey. Yes, he was here. He was here. That's yes. Cool. So that that's really what I kind of try, uh, kind of try, uh, excuse me, try and cover in the the presentation. And um, you know, by all, you know, I always also stress like you don't have to have like two million followers to be a part of Black Twitter. You could be somebody with fifty nine followers who just made the most hilarious meme and it just gets shared. Um, mm -hmm. But I do be sure in the presentation to call out you know some of the real the leaders of the pack right now. You know, from activism with D. Ray McKesson, Reign of April, Jamila Lemieux, um, you know, Michael Arsenal, like a lot of these people who really do they don't have to take it as a responsibility but they do mm -hmm. um you know from journalism to activists and i think that they really do a good job of of really elevating who uh the kind of the phenomenon of black twitter and there's, and i do mention that and and definitely pay homage to those people and hoping to um eventually culminate this into an event where we can have a panel discussion i'd love to invite them and, and have them see the presentation i'd love their blessing you know just to say that as a social person i get the strategy behind it but i know what makes it go and i think so much of you know in this industry we're always kind of at a fishbowl where like we're on the outside looking in right. and so i want us in the inside if we make in the trends Right. And this is bubbling up in the culture. How are we not a part of this process? You know, what was the response you got with all of those people in the room? Like, what, were, were, were their jaws dropped? Were folks yeah. stuck on stupid? Were some folk nodding? Like, yep, girl, I know. I've seen it. <laughs> I've been there. My best yeah. friend is on black Twitter. Like, <laughs> what was that like? Um, you know, so I'll be straight up real with y'all. Like, I've, except for I did get to do the presentation for the 2017 class of MAPES with four A's. Shout out to all y'all. Love y'all. Um, they were super lit and really connected with it. Um, we did have to do it over the phone because they're, um, you know, all over the United States. But outside of that, I mainly do the presentation and I'm like sometimes the only black person in the room. 
So a lot of times I, you know, and I, I'm literally talking about slavery, Negro spirituals. As a, I mean, yeah, I literally say wade in the water in this in this presentation because I have to talk about the history of coded messages. You know what I mean? And what that means to our community. And so we have to like kind of bring them through this process. And for me, I, I think it, it took me a minute to be like, wow, like y'all don't y'all don't notice. You know what I mean? Like you start to think that your experience is just kind of common knowledge mm -hmm. and that has been covered and it's not. And I've had people who have just been like, this has just opened my mind. I've, there's a couple of instances that have happened after um, the presentation that have been really special to me where people are like, damn, I really think differently now because the culmination and the end of this um, presentation really hinges on the idea that Black Twitter is an example of, like you were saying earlier, um, there are people out there you could hire. There's mm -hmm. people on there who are strategizing, you know, protests. That's a strategist. Right. Mm -hmm. But they might work at a hair salon. You know what I mean? And so it's people out there making memes, have us rolling. You know how I many times yeah. I screenshot all day, all in a group <laughs> yeah. text? You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, those might be high school kids, but they're copywriters. Mm. You know? So it's like I really wanted to use this as an example to show, like, we have to redefine how we think someone in this industry looks because this industry is about creativity. It's about, you know, initiative and, and kind of intuition. So... I think we treat this industry so many times like resurgence. Like, yeah, we, we can't hire nobody that didn't go to school, okay? If you're going to be a surgeon, like, we got one lane and one group of people that we can hire from, but I think we should recruit more like the entertainment industry. Do you, do you feel like they took your presentation as a warning, or was it like fuel to go out and look for more diverse talent? Um, I could definitely, and let me know if I'm talking too much, y'all. I get no, so no, fired. No. I get so fired up. <laughs> I can love talking about this. Like, yes. <laughs> um, I will say, and that you know, that's I will give so much kudos to the team at VML from both the headquarters. I, I'm talking CEO down, um, all the way to just you know my direct report is that this literally has sparked. I think something in them. They weren't like, oh, damn, like, you're right. We're messed up. Okay, see you Monday. Like, um, you know what I mean? And it could have. You know, I've been speaking about this stuff every agency I've been at, everywhere I've ever worked, you know? Um, and so they really have been like, okay, so, like, what's up? What are we going to do now? What are we going to do next? And I've been able to be a part of the inclusion and diversity efforts that they've started and sparked. Um, and actually some of those efforts came slightly before um, Black Twitter because speaking of poor Falano Castile, that week was around this week last year. Yes, it was July, yes, right? It yeah. was July, right? And I was just crying on a train because it was like Alton Sterling, I think the next day was Falando, and then it was like the Dallas cops. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, like now, you know what I mean? Like this ain't going well. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna see my husband. Like, you know, like anything could happen. I was really messed up. And I remember going into work and people were like, you know, oh, well, what you doing this weekend? I'm like trying to stay alive. Like, hey. you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, it, it was to me like 9-11 happened and we all went to work and just didn't say nothing about it. For mm -hmm. me, in my world. And I actually wrote a letter to the heads of, of uh, New York office and I was like, I need to talk about this. Like, we need to talk about it. Like, shout out to my team, SoRo, which is what we call Social Row. Um, at VML New York, they were like checking in on me, like, are you all right? I'm not all right. But it was it was just like everyone was uncomfortable. Nobody knew where to talk about it. And I'm like, well, why can't we talk about this? You know what I mean? This is our country. Like, people are hurting. Um, 
And so we actually ended up having after that, you know, letter, I was like, y'all probably gonna fire me after this. <laughs> like I was, that, I was like, well, let me just go on and get my LinkedIn ready. Uh, you know, right after I sent send, you know, I hit the button, but they were, you know, and I'm talking to them later. I talked to, you know, our HR person. They were like, it was, it was nerve wracking. That's that's scary territory, but they really do push the idea that they're a family, and they really did come through. And we had a meeting that was totally voluntary and. It was about 40 people in the office that came through, and we just talked. There was a few tears shed. I kind of led the meeting just, you know, and, and I, they asked if I was comfortable with that, and I said yes. But, you know, from that moment, we really started to think about, you know, inclusion and diversity is just not those two damn words. It's action. Like, we have to take action. So I, I will say that with this presentation coming about, a month and a half after that, that they've really been supportive of that. And, and there's several things, irons in the fire, that I'm happy to be a part of. So awesome. I want to back up a little bit because you were, this presentation came about because you kept talking about yeah. <laughs> black Twitter in these meetings. What did you, were you doing that on purpose? Was it something that you were trying to, I mean, because the way that I see it is that for us to show our work, we need to be authentic. Mm -hmm. We need to fill those white spaces, identify those white spaces mm -hmm. that are present in these meetings and fill them with our perspective. And our perspective is usually from what we know is from our culture. Right. So one, did you, if you weren't doing it on purpose, what would you say to somebody else who doesn't feel as comfortable right injecting their culture into the conversation because maybe they don't see the value in it or there's some sort of hesitation and feeling like their culture won't be received uh, in the way that it was received for you because they took that as value. They, mm -hmm. they saw right. your perspective as something that was, all right, cool, we could actually utilize this to better our work. What could somebody else do? Like, what's the mindset that they need to be in when they're injecting that into the conversation? Yeah, yeah, that's actually an awesome question. And it came up a bit um, with the mates who were, you know, just starting their career and, and going into this because it is scary. You're like, I mean, like, Y'all can't see me, but I have box braids in now, and I came in to work like, yeah, some of these might come out. So if anybody <laughs> see them, just go on and, like, you know, I have to, like, school y'all. I mean, that's just me, like, being 100, you know, after having done this for, you know, a decade now. But I totally get what you're saying. Everybody's not as comfortable. And even that, you know, I still have to be mindful of, of that. You want to go to a place where you could be yourself. But I think, you know, I hadn't, I used to talk about black Twitter, just I, I, I was who I was. So I was being me authentically. I think what I realized about advertising is that like, I'm not, why am I going to try to be this person sitting next to me? Like, this is about right. perspective and strategy. So I know I'm really good at what I do. I work hard. I do, I stay up on the trends. I, you know, I, I know that I, I love this. I want to do this, you know, with my life. So why can't I be me? And so that was just me to talk about mm -hmm. black Twitter. And, and you know, it, it started, you know, even before that, I remember being, you know, two agencies before in a meeting and we went through the whole 2015 uh, media creative for a, a specific huge Fortune 50 brand. And at the end of it, I was like, man, that was nice, but like, where the black people? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I th what I will say to that is, this isn't just like, oh, I'm black, I really want to be included. This is good business. Again, mm -hmm. you're being irresponsible because you're forgetting 14% of the country, 14% of the country that leads the trends. And what right. we do is follow the trend. And what we do is document these trends. So again, whether you like it or not, this is, this is what we need to be doing. You know, I remember being in another meeting and 
you know, somebody said, well, we, we're so excited. We really want to market to Hispanics. And I go, which ones and where? Mm-hmm. My husband's Puerto Rican from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That's different than Mexican in Texas, right? Yeah. Right. Different than Mexicans in L.A. So I'm like, you know, I, I was always pushing that because I'm a strategist. I understand that this one perspective doesn't serve me. I can't do my job if I don't understand these other things. I just happen to be from one of the underrepresented, you know, perspectives. Right. And like I said, again, this perspective, you know, black people, we do lead trends. That's just what we do. We always have. So uh, what I would say is to always keep your eye on, this is not just like, oh, please just let us in. No, this is what you need to do. The world is changing. By 2044, Hispanic, uh, you know, people of color will be the majority, not the minority. So if we're going to really do what we're saying we're going to do, then, you know, do it from the mindset of like, oh, no, I would tell you this whether I was this or not. Like, you're forgetting entire swaths of people that have influence. I've had conversations, um, I actually had a conversation specifically with a multicultural media agency based out of Brooklyn, um, I guess about a, about a year ago or coming up on a year ago, and one of my questions to them, it's, it's run by two dudes, one of my questions to them was, um, you know, how do y'all survive or how do you sustain? Um, and the biggest thing that they can't, that they responded with was, listen, we know we know things about people that other agencies don't care to know. And I think your perspective on asking something as simple as you want to market to Hispanics, okay, or Latinos, which ones? Or let's have a conversation about black Twitter. Okay, well, what, who are you trying to reach out to? Like, what, what are you trying to gain from it? Because it's so easy and even we talked about recruitment earlier it's just so easy to just be blanket with it it's just so easy to just say we've checked the box when in reality what you just said is it's not just about dni it's about die right diversity inclusion and execution like in an efforts for you to act to successfully um be inclusive you have to execute a plan that guide you in that direction. Otherwise, you're just gonna do what's normal to you and what feels good. And what feels good is staying home on your couch and your drawers. And sometimes you gotta put on your dress <laughs> pants so Damn. you can have your Sunday best on and go to church. You gotta be ready right. for, where, for, for the places that you're going to. So I think, I think that part is amazing. Um, going back to Black Twitter, how do you feel, or do you feel that it has strengthened our cultural identity and I'm going to say our as people that identify with black Twitter because I think that might be easier than just qualifying it as just a black thing I think Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that are not African-American I'm Afro-Latino people Mm -hmm. that identify with black Twitter and the conversations do you think it has strengthened our cultural identity has it reshaped it like what has it done uh how has it changed how we communicate and how we're seen to the world thus far yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so incredible about it. It's because you took this group who was marginalized. You know, our upper mobility has, there's been obstacles placed at us and at every turn continuously um, with these institutions in this country specifically and globally. But I think what it's done is it's allowed us to bring a discourse and hold people accountable um, that weren't being accountable before. So I know there's an example that I use in the presentation. And, and also, just keep in mind, I have to continue to update it. I, I don't yeah, leave it right. dormant. You know, there's already something that happens that I need to. I remember adding Ben and Jerry's to it. I've never been more happy to add a slide. Listen, you know, right. I had before that no brand had ever said Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Um, you know, and I had to add that slide in there, you know, before I did it again, and that, that made me happy. But I try to keep it relevant. But I think what what I one of the uh, examples that I use is that there was a conversation about this. this there was this article that went out about a, a school in Philadelphia. Um, it was a white family. This was a gentrifying neighborhood. They had just moved there, and the the tone was very like, "Oh, these brave, this brave white family went to the, you know, they didn't do private school, <laughs> you know, they didn't they didn't do private school. They went to the school that all those black kids have been going to for the last thirty years. You know what I mean? And so, um, one of the things that was really interesting about that is that that author actually caught heat off that you know people were like i mean duh yeah like why are you so brave exactly you better be brave to get you more efficiently cost housing exactly. <laughs> right like you know so and also it, it just totally minimized the 30 years of this school with a black staff with black kids who yes was in a tough district but that school had been doing everything they could to give those kids everything and the kids were were thriving mm -hmm. and so like you know black twitter came for this person and and the actual author went back and said i i'm sorry i colored this with my perspective and she did a twitter chat with a lot of the people who complained um oh, wow. uh H hannah jones i believe is her last name i hope i got that right um, who does a lot on education and um, the segregation of districts which i had to figure out as my daughter going into kindergarten last year um and she really took her to task for that so it, it gave someone a teaching moment but not only that but that discourse was reported on and yeah. so before that would have been a conversation that like our moms yeah. had around the kitchen table but now we're 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 challenging these gentrification conversations we, we're not you know yeah we're in cnn now and we're in you know other places but we're slowly trickling in we yeah. haven't had this this kind of place to really challenge some of those norms so i think it is very important yeah so i mean to that point like you you mentioned the journalists how do you see clients responding to this is responding to the the presence of black Twitter because it's it's we're now our perspective is now more prominent it's more in their faces it's something that they should be uh, responding to and like a couple of weeks ago I remember I was working on something for black women and I brought up the fact that they're who you talk to like you talk to african-american women actually this is this is a really good time for us to hit on the black women who don't see themselves always represented in the media, which are the Afro-Latinas, mm. black women who are from the continent, black women who are from these other places. And the response was, well, like you're trying to make it too complicated. So like, how, how, <laughs> listen. I'm, say I'm what now? <laughs> you're right. Say, I mean, say what now? <laughs> I mean, so like there's, it, so it's weird. Like we're in, a, we're in this weird space right. where everyone knows the power of black Twitter or the power of black people mm -hmm. on Twitter because we've gotten people fired, we've gotten yeah. uh, people, we, we've made changes, mm -hmm. we've brought, we've made things happen and people have seen it happen and the clients see it happen and I, I'm all, almost wondering if it's, if a lot of them are the people who just kind of see black Twitter as complainers but they don't see them as movers and shakers. Mm. So can I ask, um, to that group that you posed that question yeah. to, how many black women were in it? Um, about three. <laughs> okay, and that, what yeah. were their feelings on it? I, I've, their feelings um, were, I mean, this goes back to the account episode, <laughs> the last account episode, <laughs> oh, which God. is why, why are you in the room? Are you in the room just to mm -hmm. be a yes person? Are you right. in the room just to give the client yeah. what they want? 
or are we all here aware of the marketplace and what's happening and that competition is steep and we want to be business consultants and make sure that we're giving the client not just what they ask for but the best execution um I think it's the latter. <laughs> like they just wanted to be yes people, so it. And I think that's the yeah. industry problem right now, right? And I know y'all touched on that last last week. Um, you know, but they clients hire us to be leaders. They hire us to be forward thinkers. They hire us to know about what they don't know about. You know, um, and so I think the issue with that is that what we need is this is where real diversity comes in because you need a strategic kind of perspective but you also need the representation mm-hmm. you know because I could have stood up in that meeting and been like no he's absolutely right I can give you the numbers you know from an affinity program telling you this this that and the other and then you've got a representative of who understands that culture but when you have people that don't understand the culture mm-hmm. or don't understand the strategic uh, kind of uh, I guess the reasoning behind it mm-hmm. then you're lost you know so that I the problem is that I don't think that if you just think black Twitter is a bunch of complainers, then you don't really get it. You know, that's that yeah. that goes back to you don't get our culture. You know what I mean? So we have to have people in the room who understand both sides of why this makes sense strategically. Because, again, take yourself out of it. This makes sense. This is a group. They buy. Their influence is massive. It's immense. As a business person, it makes no sense not to try and be authentically engaging with this community. So then you think about what what could be the, the issue there, and it all goes back to I think not understanding that perspective. I also feel like, oftentimes, I feel like there's a fear, um, there's a fear of education, or there's a fear of knowing better, mm-hmm. because once you once you know better, you have to then become responsible enough to do better. Yeah. So asking yourselves, asking yourself questions, um, if we're talking about just campaigns and working in the industry, taking the time to care that there are different types of black women, or black women identify differently than what you're just, ex- we, yes, we may identify as black, but what does that mean to me right. is very different than what it may mean to you, right. or you, you see what I'm saying? and they would then have to take the time to go back and pull reports, learn some things, Mm -hmm. read some things, talk to some people. When in reality, it's like, well, I'm really just trying to get, I'm really just trying to get to this end goal. I'm really just trying to push this project out by the end of the week. This is the deadline. This is the goal. And I honestly feel like that's where the problem lies, where they, they miss. Like, you can't miss black Twitter because people that are on black Twitter sit right next to you at work so as a strategy department for you to say that you had no idea if we go back to let's just call it a lack of independence week as as we talked about it last year the Mm -hmm. first week of july where there were so many accounts of people saying i can't believe i just fucking walked into this office Mm -hmm. including myself i said it and they know and it's true (laughs) keep it real watching this fucking office and everybody is acting like nothing just the fuck happened Mm -hmm. like we're just i'm i'm angry for no reason you chose to ignore it because it right. was on every news channel, exactly. every front page right. of every newspaper. It was all over your your, your, your trending feed on Facebook because that's the first thing you see next to people's birthdays now. So you know the news and whose birthday <laughs> yeah. that's done Even on though purpose. Facebook is still like two days slow. <laughs> Go to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's still on purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like right. You're choosing to right. ignore that there's all of this information available to you to make better business decisions. Right. But better business decisions mean you have to hold yourself accountable. And I truly believe that it's not a lack of knowledge. It's a, it's a, 
it's a lack of wanting to be responsible. So to your point, you're, it's irresponsible. Like yeah. at the end of the day, you are very irresponsible. You're not dumb. You're not ignorant. You're choosing to do the fuck shit. I think it's, you know, also a lack of confidence that you have, especially if you're a minority or like, or you have this insight of a community. The beauty of, of hearing, you know, just hearing you speak about black Twitter is that you invited to share yourself. You know, you understood that I have I, my personal insight and I have the insights, the business insight, I have the knowledge, I know how this works. You have that account. I think for a lot of junior people, it's, you know, you do so much to build a business case that you forget that you have the personal insight as well. Right. You know it better than anyone else because either you're a part of the community and you know it the best. And to share that, that can be, that's an obstacle that you have to go over, especially if you have to talk to a CMO or whomever. Right. You know, to push against that and say, you know, I have it, I know it. And so when was your breaking point where you're just like, mm. I know this, I believe in this, I'm going to share it? Yeah, I mean, I think that so much of that, and please don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want my young folk to go up in there tomorrow. Like, first of all, what we finna, <laughs> what we finna talk about is, like, you know what I mean? I don't know how much about this status, I what I care about. Nah, man, we ain't doing stand-up today. Like, you know what I mean? So, um, I, I think for me, of course, you know, I, I've, you know, been doing this for, you know, a little over 10 years. And, and like, you get confidence in that. You know, your first pitch, I was scared to death first win you're like okay you know what i mean like then then you get then you're in that week and then you then you're you're up for a, a, you know a can lion and and so like that stuff you, you have to re, it reinforces your confidence absolutely it's just like anybody who by the time you hit your 30s you're like okay i think i'm getting this a little bit you're very different than you were like in your early 20s and i think that comes of course with understanding who you are and that's why i always push and i push to the mates when i spoke to them it's like know your craft you can't go up there talking if you don't know and take this seriously because then I because I, I can tell you right now that as a strategist I need a whole strategy. I know that. You know what I mean? I know I've done it, I've planned it, I've I've understood the data and the insight that I need to craft something that really works because I've done it before. So I think there's a little bit of of course just getting comfortable in that. You have to make mistakes, you have to mess up really bad and be terrified. Um, but as you get into that I think that this industry doesn't do a good job of under showing how much leaning into who you are um, really makes a difference, you know? So I, I always say, and I think, um, shout out to the homie Gary Nix, he just tagged me in an article. Um, I didn't get to read it because I was driving. I shouldn't even been, I was, <laughs> was multitasking. It was Twitter, I was in traffic. <laughs> My bad. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> but he sent me this article, and I say this stuff all the time because it's not only just race, it's, it's just experience. As I always say, like, yo, who the hell in here has been on food stamps? Word. You know what I'm saying? If we selling this, that's still, that's still a choice someone has to make. That's still, you know. So I think that don't, like, shy away from whatever the, the broken road or the paved road was that got you to be in advertising. I think you should lean into it. But also lean into your skill, practice, mm -hmm. hone your skill, find mentors, reach out to people. I reach out to anybody on LinkedIn. Um, and I always respond to anybody who reaches out to me. I'm the only goddess Rivera on everything, y'all. So, <laughs> so holla at me, you know. She was doing, <laughs> she was like, there's not Google going page to be one, baby. no <laughs> 
confusion, bro. It's all you. Yes, 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 yes. So I, I think that's important. So I will say it's not easy and you know, and even me, like, I mean, I, I did a, a, a podcast with my CEO and I was like, yo, like we had to talk about Philando Castile and, and me sending that letter. But I was like, you know, I, I feel, I think comfortable enough in who I am in this industry. And I'm also passionate. I'm not saying it because I want somebody to call me to be on a podcast or I just really believe this is what we need and that this is kind of where the world is going. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like that, that authenticity is, is the thing that once you get it, and you lean into it, that's where your career starts moving forward because everything else that you do is gonna be fake. Mm -hmm. And yeah. people can sense it and people can smell it. Like you're, people can, like we all know when someone's pretending <laughs> to be something <laughs> that they're not. But when you, when, you, when you start being authentic, I think that's, that's where your passion starts to, to come out because you start to get angry when people, right. and, and for, for me, it's anger for somebody else. It's, it's, it's a different feeling, but you have that feeling that kind of pushes you to the edge where you feel comfortable enough to walk into a room and say, actually black people don't do that. Yes. They don't say that. They don't talk like that. And mm -hmm. if you say that, then black Twitter's coming for that ass. Yes. And so you, you kind of need to, look for those moments where you can kind of like lean into that thing that right. makes you authentic that and and if you are a person of color it's that thing it's it's the next step beyond just your skin color that makes you different from everybody in the room mm -hmm. so you can have a, that perspective that stands out as opposed to everyone else absolutely i think another piece to it you brought up um you made a comment about recruiting the way people do in the entertainment industry, where it's more so skill-based and, and less of and uh, academic cred credentials. Mm -hmm. With that being said, part of what the entertainment industry tends to do is exploit mm -hmm. um, exploit culture. And, and quite honestly, the only culture I know it really to exploit is, is that of my own. So mm -hmm. to exploit black culture, to exploit urban or hip-hop culture right um but i do think that there's something to be said for the amount of people or the quality of people that partake in black twitter that really are copywriters mm -hmm. and really are strategists and really are producers and you know know how to talk the, the sweet talk the pants off anybody so you can right. be the account person or a new business lead mm -hmm. but with that like how can we build business a business case to show the profitability of black Twitter or even commodify it for ourselves right. in a way that does not exploit our culture. And maybe those there's no answer, but just throwing that out there. Yeah. And I mean, that comes up because one of the things I say in the presentation is like, this is not like, okay, Nike, come jump on in and get up in black sure. Twitter. Like I'm not here to consult to tell you how to reach black Twitter. I'm here to let you know that there's a perspective out there that you have no idea about and that you're selling again and speaking to and building relationships with all of these people. And this group, you know, specifically has things that bubble up, you know, that make it to advertising. You know, Denny's be tweeting Bay and this, that, and the other, you know, and remember all that. Denny's didn't like to serve black folk no food. Bay, you remember man? that? We had Bay. Denny's. Back Damn. in the day, we weren't allowed to eat Denny's in my even, family. I can't even say, oh, I know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I do know why. We wasn't allowed to have oh, no Denny's. I know, I 
like, no, you know, on fleek and all that stuff. Like, you know, so much of this stuff comes out of it. And I'm like, how you don't know where this came from, though? Mm, right. You know what I'm saying? You you tweeting it, you don't know where this came from? Again, a responsibility. Like, we've been resting on our laurels too much. And there's stuff, you know, it's like I say, I always say, is this is just an example of one that I know well. But, you know, a second, immig- you know, a second generation immigrant, a Muslim American, like what, what, are, what are they going through? What, what do they mm-hmm. connect with? We don't know. And that's where I think, like, I feel like this industry should be panicking right now because they, they have so much that they don't know, you know? So I think, um, you know, I was thinking about when you were saying that, I always say this is an upper middle class to high class industry, right? Mm-hmm everybody here is from you know a certain level of background because that's kind of what it takes to get here and make it here you know so that means a whole chunk of people are missing so it's like how do we that business case makes a difference like i said about food stamps like somebody's standing in a store right now making a decision on what brand to buy but if we ain't never you don't know what it's like when your mom only has 75 dollars for two weeks to buy food, and how can you really get into the mind of that person? If you're, you know, the tuna company or a macaroni company, like how, how are you really there if, you, if you're not there? Mm-hmm. So I think the business case is that, yes, you know, but when you talk about people from different experiences and like being a person of color, which I touch on on black Twitter, like there's some stuff that just forced us to have certain experiences. Like right. <laughs> right. we all wish we could have been upper middle class, but like, <laughs> Thanks, redlining. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so I think that that's the business case is that, again, let's look at who we're speaking to. And one of the things that I always say, too, is I think advertising itself is it's just at a it's at a crossroads because there was so long. I remember in my career being like, uh-uh, don't say nothing political. Don't do yeah. this. Mm-hmm. It's coming from corporate PR. Right. Yep. But now it's like, nah, Ben and Jerry's, what you think? Yeah. I'll eat Ben and Jerry's for the rest of my life, yo. Because they said, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't even like ice cream like that. But because they said Black Lives Matter. And so I think it's all about being, I think right now brands need to be like a person. Mm. Like, would you kick it with that person right. or not? Right. You know, who? what type of friends do you have? And, and that person has views and opinions. Now, you may, you know, we have to be strategic in how we talk about it and, and fair because you're a company made up of several people that may or may not feel a certain way. But... I think the values of a company right now need to be front and center, and you have to have people from different walks of life to bring that to life. We just can't if we don't have that perspective. Absolutely. So I know that we can go on forever and ever. (laughs) Sorry, I'm talking so much, y'all. It's not even you. It's really just us because we really could go on and on and on forever. So I'd love to have you back. I'm sure this will not be the only conversation oh we'll be God. having. I'm sure there will be a whole bunch of other fuck-ups in the industry that we'd love <laughs> to get your opinion on. Yes. Um, and even just some advice on how to not, you know, cuss people out when you're in a movie. <laughs> shit. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and kind of close us out um, with a question. Sure. Um, what makes you woke, lit, and ready? Hey. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, that's like a three part thing. Um, I think like, you know, woke is when I did it last year, it was not as used as it is now, but you know, (laughs) you know, let, let woke have his day. I've always, like I said, you know, earlier, my mom, my dad were always really big about me knowing my history, 
me understanding, um, you know, just the beauty that I come from, kings and queens, and and making sure that we also had a clear understanding of how this world works. So I, I try and be woke. And like I said, I do a lot of education myself. I continue to read books. I continue to read not just about the industry, but about history. Like I said, I've been reading a lot about the origin of police in the country and, mm -hmm. you know, the restoration era. And, and uh, it's just, I, I think that that, I guess, makes me woke. You know, I do a lot. And, you know, there's tons of stuff. I talk about one of the things in black Twitter is like, you know, we don't always agree as a people either. You know what I mean? Like, there's Hotep Twitter, and oh, you know, Twitter, we know all about Hotep Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? But they have people here at and the let same them rock. Yeah. Twitter. There's a couple people. Yeah. Right you know, Shea Butter. Like, we gonna let them, we gonna let them rock. Like, you know what I mean? No, but like, like incense and berries. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So you know, like we, you know, we have all these different things, and and I continue to educate myself on on different, you know, walks of life and perspectives. Um, so I try and do that. I try and be open to learning, and I try and I, I think that that's what woke is, and, and also knowing my history. Um, I love to freaking party, yo. So I'm always <laughs> lit. I brought a bottle of wine in my bag today. Yeah, because that's how I roll. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, like I just think that I just think black people are lit. Like I just think being black is lit, and we have, like I said, we've just. Had so many, you know, to suffer through so many atrocities and, um, you know, not always seeing ourselves represented as beautiful, but to continue to get up, persevere, just be all the ingenuity that we had, all the survival skills, and to continue to still have a party, a barbecue, you know, a baby shower, a wedding, you know, we keep going no matter what. So I really think that just being black is lit and ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to shake this industry up. That's I'm right. ready to stop talking about diversity. I want to be a journalist. So I'm like, eh, I'm here. What, what you going to do? <laughs> I can always write. I go back to that if y'all kick me out, you know. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just ready. I'm ready to do this. I, I feel like it's not just advertising either. I, I think it's just the climate in general. We're, we're on the cusp of change. You could just feel it in the air. So I'm ready. I'm ready to do what I got to do. I think that's so dope. And, like, even your point about black people specifically people that identify as black in this country in this world like for a long time we couldn't necessarily see ourselves as as something that was respected our ideas respected and quite honestly i feel like once we got a hold of social media when social media was still something that was in the pocket something that you know wasn't necessarily mainstream that was our two seconds to check your phone at work to remember that you weren't crazy right. and seeing some things that you could identify with while you had to go back to your corporate, you know, your corporate job and, you know, trapping your, your desk, trapping in your ear with Jeezy right. going through and like talking to your friends on Twitter and still having to go to the meeting yeah. and police yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's a beauty in what it's been able to do for us. And I am just so excited, excited that, you're taking this is your the cross that you're bearing and it's a really sexy cross i'm totally intrigued and um look forward to continue to have this these kinds of con conversations with you oh yeah. well so thank, thank you, you guys so on. much man y'all are so awesome thanks for having me on letting me thank talk you. way too much Always. Thank you. This is awesome, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And as always, y'all know, you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and email. Um, we are AskMixedCompany at gmail.com, as well as our Twitter, 
and Instagram handle on the Facebook. You can find us at Ask Mix Company Podcast. That's right. I'm going to figure it hey. out one day. <laughs> um, we hope to hear from you guys after this one. We'll definitely put a link for you to get in touch with Goddess if you need to. If you have questions, shoot them our way. Um, and we will see you or talk to you or at least be heard by you on episode 29. Yes. Peace <laughs> the out. Last year of our 20s. The last year of our 20s. I might get emotional on that one. <laughs> Me and the podcast going to have a couple things in common. All right, y'all. Peace out. Thanks for listening.